Sister Marley, if you wouldn't mind maybe taking just a couple of minutes. We have some of our, a couple of new people here. They don't know anything about you. So if you could do maybe just give a two-minute introduction as to who you are and where you come from. All right? Mike has been decoded. Well, I was chosen before the foundation of the world, so I guess that's where I come from. All right, there you go. That's a good start. Oh, it's been uh, about 53 years walking with the Master, loving Him, learning of Him, being in this, what we're going to talk about, the sanctification of the bride a little bit tonight, being in that and God's will has led me to a lot of places. It's led me to uh, Africa for 20 years, and uh, one of my boys, I was talking to another one of my boys, Maxwell. He was my boy before he was my boy. <laughs> he works in New York, and he's a contractor. And, and I've got my daughter in Switzerland, and uh, only her and him, the ones I adopted, but. Uh, they're all mine. They're all mine, and uh, we thank God for what little bit of seed we have planted. The uh, Bible said sometimes we water that seed. Right, come on. Once in a while we get to reap, but it's all God who gives the increase, isn't come on. it? Right, right. Yes, amen. And uh, came home uh, 94 during the West African Wars. We were there for five years of the war. But it got to where we could no longer uh, work effectively with the people. We did a lot of relief work. We couldn't do the ministry like we had done in years past. And uh, went back. I was arrested for about seven months. We were under house arrest there. But God preserved me. He preserved me through it all. And uh, granted me his tender mercies. And I learned a lot about myself. And I learned a lot about him. You know, God puts us in those pressing situations so that we can learn about ourselves, so that we can call upon his grace and mercy. Sometimes we get to the place where we think, you know, we're self-sufficient, but we're not. Right. No way. And uh, we see that we need him. So I'm just Marlene, saved by the grace of God, right. washed in the blood, God. baptized in his name, Hallelujah. filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm trying to keep those levels up. You know, I got a dipstick that I use every now and then to check it. Uh, we need to do that. We need to check our dipstick and make sure that the oil is there because I remember there's five virgins who didn't have their oil. They didn't use their dipstick to check. So God is gracious. God is good. I'm just going to do a quick review on this. Uh, you moved that timepiece. Oh, Lord. What shall I do? What shall I do? All right. This is uh, Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew. The very first word in the Bible, which is Bereshit. The first word, not the first verse, but the very first word. It's composed of six letters. The first one is Bet. How many of you heard the word Bet? Yeah. What does it mean? Bet. Bethlehem, house of Beth. We have uh, up on uh, Thayer up there, we have Beit Shalom. What would that be? 
house of peace, shalom. There's many bets in the Bible. Just run your concordance through all the bets. You'll find a lot of bets. And we got our own in-house bet here. Who's not feeling too well tonight, we'll pray for her. But this is outstanding to me. I'm just gonna take just a few moments. Maybe I'll ask you, how are you doing in the pursuit of the heart of God? Mm, David pleased God, and God said of him, he is in pursuit of my heart. That's what we are needing to be in pursuit of, the heart of God. And the very first letter of the first word in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, is a home. It's a house. This is God's heart. Everything that he did, everything that he will do, is all for the home, for his home, for his heart. In-house, literally, it means in-house. The second letter, of course, it reads this way instead of the way that we read. This is Rosh. It's a picture of the head of a man. I'm gonna put a little beanie on his head. That was the way that they did it. Means the first, the highest, the prince. Usually when you go past a, a dwelling, a house, you'll say, who lives in that house? Rosh lives in that house. The prince lives in this house. Whose son is he? Also means son. Whose son is he? Aleph. Aleph is God. He is the son of God. The mighty one, the ox. This is not a W. It's two sharp teeth. It is sheen. S-H-I-N. Sheen. They, they have so many different spellings on these, so I just put the ones that sounded phonetic to me and put it up there, the ones I saw. Anyway, sheen, it means to crush and destroy or to be crushed and destroyed. Did the Son of God meet that? He was both crushed and destroyed, and one day he will come and crush and destroy all opposition. So it has two meanings there. Then we have yod, which is the arm and the hand. That's the way that they fix that letter. His effort, his work, and his plan. This is the plan of God. In the very first word of the Bible, Bereshit, we find the whole plan of God. It's amazing. And this is just brief. If you go into it deeper, you'll find a lot more that I have not even covered here. The last one, now remember that this was centuries before the Roman Empire ever made a cross. That is the last part of it. God's plan was the cross, the covenant. It also stands for the covenant, the new covenant, the New Testament, which was in his blood. And I just wanted to quickly review that, focusing here upon the home. That's why we sang that song, the family of God. In the heart of God, he wanted a family, a bride and a family. Yeah. That's the heart of God. And I'm pursuing the heart of God, and I hope you are as well. I'm finished with that one. I just did a quick 
review on that one. If you read it, some of them have written uh, some explanations of this. There will be a firstborn son who is foremost. He will build a house of God by taking a bride. He is a consuming fire, almighty God, and he sits at the right hand of God. Now, every one of those letters, those six letters, it's just, it's just amazing. You can put two of them together and you get bara, creator. You can put some together and it means thorns. Three of the letters mean thorns. Uh, head, tree. If you put uh, sheen and uh, yot, yot together, it means a gift. So there's a lot of deep meanings in those letters in that one word. But what stands out to me is the home family of God that God has longed for. He longed for it in, I think it's the book of Exodus, somewhere in there where Moses went up on the mount. God sent him up there. This heavy cloud was there, fire and thunderings and all of that. The people were so scared of what was going on. God said, don't let them come near. Don't let them come near. But that was part of the wedding. They have a, a canopy over, if you go to a Jewish wedding, you'll see a canopy that's over the bride and the groom. And that was the canopy, a likeness of the canopy. Also, he gave them the Torah. That was the ketubah. In Jewish weddings, they were given a document. The word ketubah means it is written. And it was all, the words were all put down, the promises, the responsibilities, what would be agreed upon. The husband or the groom would agree to so many things, the wife would agree to so many things, and then a copy of it would be given to both families to be kept and cherished. And also to look at and be reflective of <laughs> if they weren't uh, keeping up their end of the bargain. God has given to us the Torah, which is of course the first five books of the Bible. He's given that also to the Jewish people. We have a lot more than just the first five books, but there's enough in there to teach us how to live right. Amen. If we can find so much truth in just one word, the first word of the Bible, and the Bible says in Isaiah 46, 10, and 11, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. God declares the end of the story from the beginning, 7,000-year period. God is declaring the end from the beginning. That's why the very first word tells so much about God's plan, God's purpose. Hallelujah. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God's got it in control. Yeah. You believe that? It's not in Washington, D.C. I've got my eyes off of that. I'm not thinking about 
even putting Trump back in office or anything like that. <laughs> I'm letting God go ahead with his plan. God's got a plan and it's moving. It's moving. The gospel is going forward. And when this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, then shall the end come. Amen. That's God's plan. The world has their own plans. I'm not even looking at them anymore. I'm turning my eyes heavenward, and I hope you are as well, as we are searching and seeking after the heart of God. I forgot to mention in that wedding, they made the ketubah, that document that was binding. It was a legal document. They came, the family came to the gate where all the elders were, and they came, and all the witnesses, everybody in the village and town that wanted to come, they came. And every time <clears throat> it was read, portions of it were read, the people would yell, Amen! Amen! And they would do that to emphasize, because marriage was not what it is in America. It's not what it is in America right. and in other places. Yeah. They don't even consider the value of what is being done, yeah. what God requires. You know, they always say, we are here together in the sight of God, and then next week they get a divorce. <laughs> you know, they have no idea what this thing is all about. Then that uh, document, it is written, is there, and then the mohar, or the bride price, has to be paid. They're not paying for the woman. That's not what it's being paid for. It's for him to show his love, how much he values her. What did our Savior do for us? I have a lot of the scriptures, but we don't have enough time to go into all of them. What did our Savior do for the bride price? His own precious blood, he gave it. He did not withhold anything. He gave it all. And then we read in Corinthians, don't you know, you're bought with a price. You are no longer your own. And that's what the bride had to keep in mind. That she was not her own. She had to agree to that, first of all, before, after the, the gift was given, the mohar, the bride price, it could be animals, it could be money, other kinds of valuables, and it could be given, it would be given to the woman's, I mean, to the bride's father. And then there was a very sacred moment where there would be wine. The groom brought wine and a special sacred cup. And then he would put the cup to her. He would hand it to her. If she didn't want him, she had somebody else on the string she liked better, she did not have to take it. She just pushed it back. So she had her choice of what she wanted. But if she took that cup, she drank it. And what he says to her, he says, I will no longer drink this with you until I drink it new with you in my father's house. I will not drink anymore until I drink it new 
with you in my father's house. Beautiful thought, a beautiful thought. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in those days, they would go and build an attachment onto the father's place. I can imagine, you know, if the father had 20 sons, which was something biblical too. I mean, he probably had all kinds of cubicles all over his house. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he would build that. He's gonna say, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That was the promise. That was bride talk. That was marital talk. And they understood it. The Galileans understood it. We don't understand it because we have, understand it because we have uh, you know, a Western mindset, Western culture. But they understood it. And even at Passover, when Jesus gave to them the wine and the bread, that communion, that was also a very precious, sacred, bridal moment. You see, men are going to be brides too. Yes, they are. They're going to be brides too. And wonderful. So then she would go, he would go his way back to the father's house and start buying materials and things to build this. You know, once she has accepted the, the ketubah, she's accepted this and drank the wine and everything. He's gone, he's ready. I'll be back. He starts buying materials to build that add-on to his dad's house. She goes, uh, after he leaves her with a lot of gifts. Do you remember that story about uh, Eliezer when he came with 10 camels? Loaded with gold and loaded with all sorts of gifts to give to Rebecca. Fantastic. The question was asked her, will you go with this man? Yeah. <laughs> sure enough, I'll go with him on the camel train. It's a beautiful picture, beautiful story of that. I love that. All right, uh, she would go shortly after this time, all of the people in the village, everybody goes home. She would go to the mikvah, which is a baptismal place. It's kind of limestone. Well, they had different kinds, they said, but it's kind of limestone and inside is rainwater, which was considered to be pure water. And they would get in their birthday suit and they would she would have her attendees with her and go down in that water, not one hair exposed. And the water was not that deep. So she had to go way down to get that done. And the bridegroom also did the same over at his place. Because these mikvahs, they say, are so plentiful in the Holy Land where they go. And she would come out of that and it would be said, you are born again. You are born again. Then she would have the veil, and that veil would say, I'm taken. Don't look at me. I belong to somebody else. I'm unavailable. And she would go on to prepare herself, and this is called the sanctification of the bride. The preparation 
Usually it was about a year. She would prepare herself. And the Galileans, you know, they were poor people, but they would do their very best to get what they could. They'd buy pieces of cloth here and there. If there's any travelers in a caravan, they'd get some of the, you know, some of the cloth from there. And, uh, you know, she would be helped. In the meantime, the uh, groom, his bridegroom, uh, his friend, just like uh, the Bible said John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom. So the bridegroom has a friend, and he would go from time to time to see how she was getting along and take her little gifts from him that she could look at and cherish. And didn't our Lord leave us some gifts? He did. Fivefold ministry, they are gifts. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. What else did he leave us? He left us with promises. Promises, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be made partakers of his divine nature. It's a beautiful thought. He left us gifts. And I didn't even go to the gifts of the Spirit yet. Huh? Or the possibility that we could have fruit of the Spirit. All of these things. And he left us his spirit. He said, if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit will not be here with you. He's the one that's going to teach you. He's the one that's going to teach you how to be a bride, how to be a wife of the king. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. See, I need that clock. I really do. Right over there. Oh, okay. Thank you. There we go. All right. So she's done the mikvah, she's preparing, he's preparing, and then, of course, all the bridesmaids, they know the season. Generally, it's around a year. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's a little less, but I'm sure there were people peeking around and said, he's about done. He's about done. We need to get ready. So she put on her, her dress, and the bridesmaids would have their gowns and things on, you know, and they'd be ready, and they'd even sleep in them because they knew that the bridegroom was coming at night. That's how it was done. It was done like a thief in the night. It wasn't done in the broad daylight. It was come in this beloved thief, as somebody said, would come in the night. But he couldn't do it, the Bible says, until he said, only my father knows the day and the hour. But we can know the season. And I know that we are in that season now. I truly believe that. We are in the season of his return, and I'm rejoicing. Even if I, you know, go by way of the, the grave, it's still soon. It's still soon. Things are happening so quickly, so quickly. We've already come to, what, six, almost 6,000 years now. And that 1,000 years to the 7,000 is for the millennium. So we're getting right up there to the end time. We're in the real close part of his return. So we need to keep our garments on. We need to stay prepared. We need to check our oil. We need to be ready. Amen. Always. Paul said, 
I want to present you as a pure virgin to the Lord. That's what Pastor Knowles is doing. That's what all of you who are in ministry are doing. You are preparing, you are encouraging the bride to be prepared for the coming of the Lord so that we can do what we can do to present those souls that God puts into our care to be ready for his return. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me get some more of these real quick. The thought of a rapture is kind of uh, really crazy, isn't it? But there have been several raptures already. Enoch, he was caught away. Noah, he was saved riding above the earth in the ark. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. Philip was transported after baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch to another place. During the tribulation, there will be two witnesses. And they will, of course, the beast will uh, knock them out for three and a half days. But then they will resurrect. Paul, he said he was, there was a time when he was in the body or out of the body, he didn't really know. That's a form of a rapture, I believe. Maybe not all the way to heaven, but he saw things. John saw things that it's not legal to utter. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. Romans 11, 25. Gentiles were allowed in and Israel was blinded. Can we get that? Uh, Romans eleven twenty five to 27. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Go to 27. For this is my covenant unto them, when I take away their sins. The Bible said he would make of twain one new man. And he that is joined to the Lord is one. He that is joined to the Lord is one. Hallelujah. So we shouldn't be ignorant of what God's doing. There are many today who are saying that God's finished with Israel. God's finished with the Abrahamic covenant. He's not. If he does not come through in the Abrahamic covenant, then he won't come through for us. He will fulfill his purposes and they are in the prophets. The word of God is in the prophets that he's gonna fulfill his purposes with Israel. First Corinthians 10, one. We are told to avoid Israel's mistakes. First Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You can go ahead and, and do another one. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? 
And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. So God said don't be ignorant of that fact. Learn and avoid their mistakes. Avoid their mistakes. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, another be not ignorant. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. God does not want us to be ignorant about his return. That there's life beyond this life, and it's a wonderful beautiful life that God has planned it for us that in the ages to come he might show for the exceeding greatness of his kindness to us God's got so many wonderful things in store for us yeah. eye has not seen ear has not heard neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared but he has revealed them unto us by his spirit if you don't have the Holy Ghost seek the Lord because he will confirm that in your heart. He will confirm that in your heart. All right. 2 Peter 3.8. Another be not ignorant of. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day with the Lord is what? As a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. Timing. God said, don't be ignorant of my timing. One of the occasions where Jesus wept after the Palm Sunday event, he was sitting up there and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you, but you would not. He grieved over Israel. He said, now your house is left to you desolate. And within 40 years, not one stone would be left upon another. Not one. History plays that out. It tells us about that. Jesus wept because they did not know the time of their visitation. Even when Jesus was born. It was just uh, Anna and the gentleman uh, the priest that was there, the name slips me right now. Is it Zechariah? Mm -hmm. Huh? Simeon, I think. Simeon? Mm -hmm. Well, he was said, the Lord told me I wasn't going to die until I see the Christ. He told me. That was a beautiful thing. He knew the time of the visitation. I, I believe that some of the other religious leaders, but they just didn't want to acknowledge it. Jesus showed more uh, evidence of him being who he said he was than any other. And all they wanted was to kill him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. 1 Corinthians 12.1. This is another one, church, we shouldn't be ignorant of. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. There are many have been led astray. 
by thinking that something is a spiritual gift when it's not. They have no discernment, no understanding, and people are just leading them along. God does not want us. He wants us to understand and be aware of the fruit of the spiritual gifts that he has given. Here's a big one, 2 Corinthians 2.11. God does not want us to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, the way he works. We need to study the word of God to find out how he deceives. The very first thing Jesus said concerning the, the end time, he said, do not be deceived. Many will be deceived. And right now, there's a large following, a uh, 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 falling away, not following, but a falling away. Falling away of many who have believed. And it's, it's sad to see. The last one here is 2 Corinthians 1.8. Don't be ignorant of missionary troubles, burdens, and needs. 2 Corinthians 1.8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We need to be aware of the burdens that missionaries are carrying. And in this church, there's always that encouragement to consider those who are going through troubles and trials. And if you have that, uh, the Martyrs Magazine, I get that every month, and it tells about places in the world where people are going through things that it's just unthought of unthought of in our world. So we should be, we should not be ignorant of missionary troubles, needs, and burdens. So there's a few things that we should not be ignorant of. I've got some allergies, I'm sorry. Luke 19, 44. I'm watching the time here. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And I just quoted some of that a little while ago, but I think it uh, is good to repeat it. Now I have some words for comfort for you. Song of Solomon 2, 8 through 13. These are words of comfort. The Bible said, comfort ye one another with these words. You know, of all evangelicals, not even one third of them believe in a rapture. They don't believe that the Lord's coming again. All things will continue as they have from the beginning. We've got things going on there at the Vatican that are unspeakable. And uh, mixing all the religions together. We've got Chrislam, mixing Christianity with Islam. And a lot of other things going on uh, that are 
things that we need to pray about. The voice of my beloved. Close your eyes for a moment. The voice of your beloved. Behold, he comes leaping on the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe, it's a deer, or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. We're going to hear that not too long from now. He's going to say, Rise up, my fair one. Rise up. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. He's coming, beloved. He's coming. And I'm telling you, his, his rewards are with him. He's coming to receive his bride. The scripture says that at midnight the cry was given. The bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. A loud horn would blow. That trumpet would blow. And everybody in the village that was invited to the wedding responded, got ready, got up, because it would be a long procession to the father's house. And they'd all be ready. And those uh, bridesmaids that were the bride, they were getting her up and getting her ready, you know, to be prepared for that wonderful event. And there would be that long procession, the blowing of the shofar, all of the dancing and the joy and the happiness that was coming to get the bride. And they had prepare, prepared a litter. It's like what they carried the ark upon. And they would set it down once they got to her house, to the bride's house. And she in all of her finery, and her veil, and all that she was wearing, they would gently put her down into that litter and then the bridesmen would carry. She would be taking a flight. It was known as the flight of the bride. The flight of the bride. And they would lift her up above the earth and carry her to the Father's house. I hope you see some pictures in here. The Lord has given us a lot of clues about things that are going to happen. It was a beautiful thing. And she would go there. And all of those who were ready, not the ones who were down at the oil shop getting their oil, the door was shut and no one else could get in. For seven days, the bride and the bridegroom would be together in that chamber, intimate. On that seventh day, would come out and he would present her just like we do in some of our weddings you know I present to you so and so you know and the veil would be removed this is the queen this is my bride this is the one I have chosen for my home for my home he wants us to go to his home When we witness to people, we can tell them, 
I'm inviting you to a wedding. I'm inviting you to a wedding. Whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. There's a story in the Bible that talked about a wedding. The father was having a wedding for his son. He sent out to all of those that were supposed to want to come, and they didn't. They made excuses. I married a wife. I got to take care of my animals. I got this. I got that. The father got put out with that. He had his servants go out. Go out. Go out, into, out, of, out of town. Go out into the hedges and the bushes and out of town and bring in anybody that's willing to come to the wedding. Let them come. Let them come. The cry has gone out, whosoever will. Whosoever will. Don't you want to come to the wedding? Don't you want to come and be part of the family of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope these words of comfort have blessed you tonight. We just wanted you to be encouraged in the Lord. I'm not, I don't set dates for anything. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season. Jesus talked to them about the fig tree. He said, when you see it begin to bud, you know that it's, the summer is near. That season of summer is near. How many of you know that the, the season is at hand for his return? Hallelujah. Heavenly Bridegroom, we rejoice in you. We have taken of the cup that you put into our hands, and we agreed to the ketubah. It is written. We agree to it. And by your grace, Lord, we will live it and walk in it. Only through your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you, O oh God, that we have this good news, these glad tidings that you will return. You said if it were not so, you would have told us. But you've gone to prepare that place. And we're not looking for an antichrist. We're not looking for all of those horrible things spoken of in Matthew 24. We're looking and listening for the sound of that trumpet and the call to come to be with you. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. Help us to live with that blessed hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.